This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. All right, everyone, welcome back to the WOMED. Jack is still in Italy celebrating her bestie's wedding, but she will be back next week. So y'all have to deal with just me again this week. Jack and I really wanted to highlight some huge movements and news the last two weeks. Yeah, it'll be like two weeks by the time this uh, episode releases. 1,700 nurses at the time of recording have gone on strike in New Jersey in support of safe staffing ratios. One of those nurses striking and advocating is the powerful Sonia Mitrevska, more well-known as Nurse Sonia. I can speak for Jack here and that the WOMED supports the nurses on strike in New Jersey. Please welcome the incomparable Nurse Sonia back to the pod. Sonia, welcome back to the pod. I can't, like, this is your third time on. First time was with Danny and I. Isn't that crazy? I know. And then I feel like the second time was just me. And like this time it's just me again, but Jackson, Italy um, for her uh, best friend's wedding. So, well, thank you so much for having me back. And I, I love you guys and I adore you and everything that you do in this space. And just, you know, I feel like time since the pandemic has been an absolute blur. Yes. So it's yeah. very difficult it's a to kind piece way of together. <laughs> Right, exactly. Right. That's putting it lightly. So to piece together how long it's actually been that we've known each other and have had these conversations is kind of crazy. Oh my God. No, it's been since like 2019. I know. It's been a long time. Wow. I know. And we are literally, we're heading into 2024 soon. So it's, oh my God. it's incredible. And it's incredible to see that this space still exists so that we can do these things. I know. I'm I'm very grateful for that and very grateful that you are able to come on the podcast and talk today about the strike that's happening, well, the nursing strike that's happening in New Jersey, because that's like what the WOMED was created for. The WOMED was created to like empower voices in healthcare. And um, Jack and I really want to be advocates for those who are advocating for change and be able to help facilitate that change in whatever possible way. So yeah. I think it's it's incredible, and this is also it's timely. Um, this is clearly a time sensitive matter to discuss the topic not only of seventeen hundred nurses in New Jersey who have spent the last six weeks on the picket line, the last six weeks fighting for enforceable staffing ratios and standards. And you know, one thing that lends mentioning is a guideline is merely a guideline. So if you work at a facility in the country or perhaps even in the world, because a lot of the feedback I'm getting is from nurses in Canada, nurses in the UK, nurses in Germany who have really? been, oh yeah, they've been bombarding me. And I, I appreciate it. I don't even have time to get back to everyone in a timely fashion, but I want you guys to know I am reading as much as I can to sort of get a sense of what's going on. And this crisis is a global crisis. This is, we have come to a point in healthcare where the standards have been dropped so low and the productivity has been pushed so high that we are essentially pushing the boundaries and the limits every single day that of we go safe. to work. Of course, of course. So these nurses are looking for enforceable staffing guidelines. And at this point, they are at an impasse based on the information that I've been provided, because a lot of these nurses have been reaching out to me and have been um, asking me for their support, which I'm happy to lend. There has not been any set contract negotiation for, I believe, the past couple of weeks. So we don't know when this will end. Um, and on September 1st, 
1,700 nurses lost their health insurance benefits and their disability coverage. So now the stakes are even higher. Now their families mm-hmm. are truly being impacted. You know, unemployment is not that much. So what I think everyone needs to understand, we in healthcare get it. And I think a lot of nurses out there are not union nurses. Um, it's pretty rare to have a union. And in New Jersey as well, most hospitals are not union facilities. That's so when you my next question, if the hospital yeah. is unionized or not. So this this particular facility is one of the last vestiges of union facilities okay. in this in the state. And as we know, you know, big money doesn't want unions, right? So mm-hmm. when you do have a union, you really have to try to stay strong to hold that line to make the point that your needs are not just basic necessities. They're what every patient and every person deserves. So that all being said, it's been now six weeks. There's no end in sight. And to me, it feels like we need to turn this into a call to action from nurses and also the public all over the country Mm -hmm. to understand that this is a litmus test for how modern day healthcare will continue to railroad staff if they don't stand together. Well, that just speaks to modern healthcare in general. Like you said, the productivity has pushed way up and safety standards and how I feel like when most people get into healthcare want to be able to practice, they want to be able to give their all to their patients. And they we just can't do that when we are being forced to take on more and more patients like we can we're we're spread thin as it is and they're asking you to continually be spread thinner right and there's a, of course a certain type of person that enters this space there's a certain you know for the most part people go into healthcare because they want to help other people mm-hmm. of course there are exceptions to that rule but many right. of us are are empathic many of us have had our own personal journey and our own experience that has led us to this path. And I know you spent many years as a nurse in the NICU. Mm-hmm. And I spent nearly six years doing, you know, critical care until I hit a point where I said, I cannot do this anymore if I have to make the decision between being safe or being efficient. Yes. And I have no doubt that you and I both would have stayed and we both would have, would have had more longevity in the field and in the profession, had we had the resources that should be there. And that probably in some facilities truly do exist. Mm -hmm. So I think this is not just as nurses, I think we can all really commiserate um, and we all get it. But I think the public, they think they know, but they don't really know. And I think that's sort of now my latest mission Mm-hmm. is to inform the public in general about what it's really like when you or a family member go to a hospital. Yeah. Yeah. I am I'm so glad you brought that up because that was going to be another thing that I wanted to speak into because I feel like the word strike or like protest has such a negative connotation to it. Unions have such a negative connotation to it when it's literally just trying to have something that is supportive and like a safety net for healthcare workers. Like no nurse wants to go on strike. Oh. These nurses know what's happening in the hospital with even less nurses there. And they aren't doing it to hurt people or the or the hospital. They are doing it because shit has gotten so bad that it is not safe to care for patients in that environment and main, and maintain their own health. And that's I, when you said that, I had massive goosebumps all over my body. And I keep my apartment at 76 degrees. My <laughs> friends call it the terrarium when they come over. Massive goosebumps all over my body because the the reality is for nurses to make the concerted effort and the conscious choice to say, this matters enough for us to walk out, for us to stand outside of the doors of this hospital they understand the gravity of that decision. Mm -hmm. They understand the fact that the patients that they want to care for will not be given the care that they have been giving. And, you know, I think it's important also to point out, I am of the position that travel nurses and strike nurses have a job to do. And I, I respect that. Patients at the end of the day need care. 
And the way that I frame it and the way that I see it, when nurses go on strike and there's other staff that have to come in and, and take on that load, use that staff in the interim to your advantage to give you the opportunity to push forward what's right. If you're outside of the hospital day in and day out, use it to get the message out. Use it to garner public attention. Use it to get the political interests up so that they are listening as well. Because there's not a single nurse that I know that's ever said to themselves, you know what I would love to do? I'd love to walk away from this patient because I don't care. That's just, that's not how we're wired. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. I mean, yes, there are exceptions. We've all had the curmudgeon nurse and sure. the one that you're just like, why are you really in this field? Um, sure. and, and doctors for that aspect, too. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the majority of people working in healthcare are in healthcare because they want to make a difference because they care about people and seeing them get well and live like a full, healthy life. One thousand percent. And, you know, I had the opportunity two nights ago to actually go down to New Jersey and speak at the picket line and meet many, many of the nurses who were standing the line in front of the hospital. And I had to sort of, it's this emotional, pardon my French clusterfuck that happens when you have to think back to, and you have to dig into the moments that really impacted you so deeply that they caused you to feel like you had to walk away. And yet you understand that only those examples can serve as heavy enough to really impact change. Mm-hmm. And I thought a lot about my own mom. My, my mom was sick for my entire adult life. And I became a nurse because of her. I was a nurse to her first in so many ways. And I thought back to the times when she was in the hospital and I knew whether I would go home that night or not was based on how many nurses were on staff that day. I knew when the nurse came in and gave me a little, a little wink and a nudge and said, we're good tonight. I've only got got two today. Mm -hmm. I could go. Mm -hmm. And when that didn't happen, I would stay. And yet not everyone is fortunate enough to have a loved one who's medically knowledgeable. Not everyone is fortunate enough to have someone who could be by their side to advocate fiercely. You have to know that when you go into a hospital, the person who's charged with caring for you has the time and resources to do that. And as it stands right now, that's not modern day healthcare. It it really isn't. And that just like, it just like stops me in my heart because this isn't how we want to practice. I know. I know. And, you know, I, for a while, um, I had so much going on in my own life between grad school and getting divorced and my mom passing away that I, I had stepped sort of back from a lot of that true advocacy work in the profession because it, mm-hmm. I, I noticed this week sort of being hot and heavy back in it again, how very triggering it is to go back there. Yes. And how it, it really puts you back in a place where you say, I am not that person. I am not a burnt out, miserable, resentful human being. I, in my heart, am a positive and I believe in change and I believe in progress. But when you're inundated by bad news after bad news after bad outcome after thankless effort, you sort of have to say to yourself, I need to protect myself. Yes. And, and so that's 
what I did. I took a step back and I sheltered myself and I worked on myself and I, I did the things that I had to do to preserve my own peace. And now as I sit here today, sort of back in the thick of things, cracking up about how, you know, suddenly I went from, I'm going to take it easy to, you know what, let's get a federal staffing mandate. I'd like to double down on all of this. <laughs> oh, God. This is how we are. This it is, is how we are. It is. And I know you know this. You can't help yourself. No. You can't help yourself. I'm I'm not at the bedside anymore, but you better believe the last 12 years of my life that were at the bedside are fully ingrained in my body. A thousand percent. Like the trauma and the losses and the good ones and like the patients mm-hmm. and like the people I walked out of the hospital. Yeah, those are all ingrained too. But so are the nights where you have... You're sitting ECMO, which is a one-to-one, sometimes a two-to-one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you have like another like feeder grower. You might have mm-hmm. another assignment and you're like, mm-hmm. holy shit, how am I supposed to safely provide care uh-huh. when these uh-huh. patients, I have like the parents, you have finally uh-huh. gotten to sleep, like to take like a breath and like step away from the bedside so that they can care for themselves. And you're being trusted in that space to care for their loved one. And you are entrusted with like, are, are I don't want to say entrusted. Well, parents are entrusting you. The hospital's forcing you. And that's the reality. And it's that level of moral conflict. There's yes. no other word for it. You're morally yes. conflicted. For you to know that there's there's people's babies whose lives are on the line, but you can't provide what you know is the highest level of care. Mm-hmm. You know how to give it. You have the skills. You have the knowledge base, but you don't have the time or the resources to give it. Exactly. And that to me, to me, that's the greatest sin there is in this whole mm-hmm. song and dance. And, you know, I, listen, I'm not, I'm not naive to the fact that hospitals are a business and you have, you obviously need to make some sort of a bottom line to operate. Mm-hmm. I get that. I worked in the corporate world before I became a nurse. I understand that a lot of what is done is done in the sake of preserving the greater good of the whole. Mm-hmm. That, that being said, if it was my loved one or if it was me in that hospital bed, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, patient mortality increases with a decrease in nursing staffing, which is true. There, yes. there is evidence to support the fact that you are likely, you are more likely to not make it home. You are more li- likely to die if there are not enough nurses taking care of patients in that department. That is out there. Mm-hmm. But what about those other situations when there's a patient assignment where one person is having some sort of a cardiac arrest or is critically ill or is experiencing sepsis and then you yourself are a patient in the bed who simply needs a bedpan. But you don't yeah. get that bedpan. Mm-hmm. And you have to sit there and soil yourself and wait. Because even though it's not an emergency that you're experiencing, for you, it's one of the most demoralizing and demeaning moments that you could ever face. Yes. That yes. is also part of this. It's yeah. what we do to the nursing staff and their conscience and then what we do to patients who are probably, in truth, terrified to ever set foot in a hospital for far more than just whatever their disease process is. I want to address like the other the sort of like elephant in the room here, which is uh, the pandemic. And <sighs> goosebumps, goosebumps I again. I know. I was not at the bedside during the pandemic. So again, I will preface this with this is all knowledge gained from, you know, people like you, people like friends that were like actively working through the pandemic. Um, but also I was a fucking charge nurse. Like I know what it's like when we are at the peak of like flu and RSV season trying to advocate when you know you need 12 nurses, 12 extra like float pool nurses, and they give you maybe two, maybe three. There's a huge level of you know, whatever you want to call it, emotional fatigue, um, emotional trauma, burnout that nurses have experienced during the pandemic and pre-pandemic, but like was like royally exacerbated when they are being asked to take care of 12, 15, 
20, maybe even 24 patients in a night that are all critically ill and intubated. And it almost feels like some of these hospital systems are like, well, you did it then. Why aren't you able to do it now? It sets a really, almost an unfortunate precedent. Yes. Because the pandemic was one of those once in a lifetime situations where, you know, one would hope that Mm -hmm. would never happen again in this lifetime. It was a universally, globally overwhelming situation. So everyone had to step up because literally that was the most literal version of shit hitting the fan that could possibly happen. And yet so many facilities now have decided that their staffing would be based on post-pandemic and they wouldn't return back to pre-pandemic. And they've decided that, well, you were able to do it then. You were able to get over it then. You were able to make it work then. Why can't you do it now? Oh, it makes me want to vomit. I know. And, you know, I myself was in graduate school. I was in anesthesia school during the absolute peak of COVID. Uh, We were out, we were pulled out from clinicals for a number of weeks because they were preserving PPE. We were not staff. We were clinical, we were nurse anesthesia residents, but we were not paid staff. And at that point they said, we need to preserve as much PPE as we have because I, you know, I was literally training in the epicenter of all things. So for a number of weeks, they pulled us out until we could return back. And I did indeed return back during the height of COVID. I did an obstetrics rotation during COVID. I did a pediatric rotation during COVID. And I had a number of my very good friends who were still working in the ICU. And the level of guilt that I felt not being there with them, the level of the bystander effect of wanting to help them and wanting to give back to them, but not knowing how, mm-hmm. was another symptom of what healthcare does to us, especially as nurses. The level of guilt that's ingrained yes. in us from prioritizing ourselves from walking away. And I'm sure when you left the bedside, it's the same as when I left. I experienced massive conflict over leaving. Guilt. Guilt. Tremendous guilt. guilt. I felt like I couldn't celebrate the fact that I had gotten into an extremely competitive nurse anesthesia program because Mm -hmm. I felt as though I was selling out or walking away or failing. We were losing like 70 nurses a year. Our NICU had like a humongous turnover rate. And I felt so much guilt knowing that I can't provide the level of care right now that I need to. And I know I'm going to make it even harder for everyone else. But this is not like a safe situation for me anymore. Of course. And that's what, that's what now is progressively happening. And, mm-hmm. the, you know, during COVID, it was bad. But we didn't know how bad it would get. And I think we are not even yet at the peak of the trauma from COVID on healthcare providers as a whole. Mm-hmm. We haven't even processed that yet. No. And I, I think that so many providers are this close to simply saying, I will do anything but work in healthcare because I have given all that I can give to the profession. And the public needs to understand that, you know, during COVID, it's it's all fine and well to call people the healthcare heroes and to clap and to do all these things. There's no question, no question about that. For some of but us, now, it was the first time we were clapped for. Ever. Ever. And yet, during COVID, I was able to, with the help of some of my incredible friends that I have, I have a very, very good friend of mine that I've known since my days back at MTV, who is brilliant and, you know, highly, highly connected and strategic and and well-networked and well-versed. And she is just, she's almost a mentor to me. And I had reached out to her when I started gathering DM after DM after DM of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories from healthcare workers around the country saying, 
this is what's happening. We are wearing trash bags. We don't have masks. We are literally scared that we are going to die. So thanks to her help and with the help of a few other very close colleagues, I was able to create a Google document that was anonymous, that Mm. people could share where they were located and what their role was, but they did not by any means have to share where they were or their name or their, their direct information. And this document still lives today. And it has thousands of stories. Wow. Thousands of stories, not just from nurses, but from techs and from respiratory therapists and from mm-hmm. physicians. And these stories initially were, do you have PPE? And then it shifted to a questionnaire that asked questions like, have you or someone you love been intubated or hospitalized? Does someone in healthcare that you know have a critical outcome because of what they've experienced? Mm -hmm. And these thousands of stories live with me. I've never shared them. I will not share them. The New York Times came to me and published a piece about it, but I would not give them any of the actual document itself because to me, it's about protecting that information. Right, right. And at some point, my hope is to use it as a sort of sort of firsthand account, whether it's uh, some sort of thesis on moral distress, but it is information that needs to be utilized someday. Mm-hmm. The point of that is this. People were clapping on the streets. The public and the news were talking about all of these heartwarming stories. I had a representative from Oprah come to me oh my God. and ask and ask about stories from frontline workers. And I told her, by the way, the church of Oprah, I'm obsessed with Oprah and I love Oprah, mm-hmm. but they wanted a story for the network that was very sunshine and sunshine and rainbows. It's not. Mm-mm. And I told them I couldn't do that. I told them I couldn't do that. So part of what COVID has done is it put healthcare in the face of the public, but then it very quickly stripped away any of that negative connotation. Mm -hmm. So now the public perception is still, you guys are great. You guys are healthcare heroes, but the hospitals are no longer saying that. The hospitals are now saying, you better, you better stay quiet. You better get to work. The job market's, you know, not in your favor. Inflation's pretty high. The housing market sucks. Maybe you should stay quiet and just do your job. And that's manipulation at its finest. <laughs> wow. There's also a huge nursing shortage right now, too. And isn't that the part? So this is the part that I don't even think we exaggerate when we tell people there will not be nurses there to take care of you. When you're older, there won't be nurses to take care of you Mm -mm. because they are walking away in droves. Because it hurts too much. It does. It does. And, you know, I don't know. I I think that, of course, there's a large component of it is a fairly female-dominated profession. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how much of this also stems from the bend over and take it mentality of I need to do what's best for these people because mm-hmm. listen, I don't doubt that. I don't question the fact that it's very, very difficult to walk away. Everybody has a livelihood to protect. Right. People have people have lives, people have things come up, people have children. It's not easy to do. Not everyone has the benefit of saying, I can just go do something else. Mm-hmm. That being said, Healthcare is not sustainable as it stands today. No, no, it's not. It's not sustainable. So there's this big federal push for creating more education for nurses, which I I appreciate. There need to be more nurses in the field, but you also have to take care of the ones who are there. Yes. Yes. You know, if you just, if you simply turn it into this big revolving door where people I mean, I know, I don't need to tell you how many people do you know immediately become a nurse and say, I will get an advanced degree. I will become a nurse practitioner. I will become an educator. I will not stay at the bedside for more than X number of years. Oh my gosh. It's like half of the population of nurses. It is. It is. And it's 
really, really unfortunate because, and I, I tell people this all the time. I, I truly loved my job as an ICU nurse. I really did. I loved being a NICU nurse. We don't walk away because we want to. We walk away because at some point something has to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is why nurses have gone on strike. I, that's really what this all, you know, comes back to, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the feedback that I'm hearing, and again, this is this is not a first-person account from myself, so I'll preface it with that. However, the the feedback that I've received is that nurses are being told to get over their COVID hangovers and get back to work. Oh, lovely. I There's no way to respond to that and not be super snarky. And that's, and that's the part that, you know, in that moment, you are an essential worker. You are a hero. Thank you so much for gowning up and putting on that hazmat suit and getting in there because I certainly won't be the one to do it. But now sit down and shut up. But now sit down and shut up. Yeah. Be grateful you have a job. Be grateful you have a job. I've actually gotten that one before. (laughs) I've gotten that one. Let me, we won't go there. What I will tell you is I have, I have trouble keeping my mouth shut when things are not right. Mm-hmm. Well, because you're I, a person with moral integrity. Right. And when you know that others may not be able to speak up for whatever reason, you know, it's it, people remain silent a lot of times because silence is safe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> silence is the easy decision. Silence, you know, keeps you off people's radar. So with that being said, I... I know I'm on people's radar, especially right now, coming here to talk to you, you know, speaking publicly at a picket line with the nurses in New Jersey. I understand the implications there. And I understand that that's not always a way to make friends. But I also, the one thing I will, I will say is if, and I firmly believe this, and I believe this as someone who has been in the social media sphere. And again, I, I tout myself to be probably the world's shittiest influencer. Uh, um, you and me might be tired, my friend. I, I, <laughs> it is uh, like I, I hate social media, but I understand that it's an important vehicle. Yes. Yeah. I would m- much rather never share anything i you know there's and every day you're like what are we doing now are we doing a dance like what am i supposed to do how am i how am i getting messages out these days like it used to just be that i could write words because i i am a writer i'm an author and those words would then do things now i have to do a little dance with words and add you know it's it's a music lot. and all the it, of course yeah of course i've got to turn it and you know the entertainment value has to be you know Listen, staff is staffing sexy? Probably not. But no. somehow you have to you have to make it sexy in yeah. order for it to, to trend. And that matter. Means, it does. It right. And it has to matter. So here we are. We are going to make staffing sexy again. That might be the name of the title of the episode. <laughs> yeah, write that down. I think suddenly I think we just had an aha moment. Make yes. staffing sexy. So doing this and having a platform, I I am very, very conscious of the content that I consume and that I post. Mm -hmm. And I am of the belief that if you have a platform, no matter what size, whether it's, it's, you know, two people or 2 million people, if you can use it at the end of the day to get a message across that is valuable, that does matter. I'm not the one suffering from this strike. Those nurses are. Mm-hmm. but I'm the human version of a megaphone and I can say the things that they can't freely say. I can share the things with more generation around it, with more yeah. speed and expediency around it mm-hmm. than they can. And yeah. I have always admired you for being somebody, and I mean this sincerely, who you don't shy away from the issues that many do shy away from. You. And it's not just nursing and healthcare. 
you take on the big political topics, you take on the big social justice topics. And I know how difficult that is. I know what it's like to be attacked by other people. I know what it's like to be shadow banned by the social media gods because you posted some, something too controversial that they don't like. And I also know that when you take a position or draw a line in the sand, you polarize followers. Yep. And you lose people. Every time I post something political, I probably lose 500 people from my account. Easily, <laughs> readily, every time. So I, I know that there are a lot of people in this space who stay relatively neutral or silent because of that. Well, and for a lot of people, it is uh, it is a form of income. I'm of course. grateful in that I never wanted to rely on that. Like, of course. I I mean, it's not something you can easily rely on. Like, no. people like always adoring you or wanting to listen to what you have to say and, and stuff like that. So no, I was always like, nah, we need to find a more accurate job. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I have the utmost respect for anyone who's out there who is a full-time content creator. I think it's, mm-hmm. a, I, I wish you would come and help me because I cannot, I, I hate doing it. <laughs> I really hate it. Literally. I hate it. It's, it's my absolute nightmare, but it it's something that needs to be done. And I think that people who, people who do have a platform and use it to inform, use it to connect, use it to share the things that go beyond just the surface. I think that also there's a lot of power in that. So I want to thank you for that. Mm. That is very high praise. And I am not good at taking high praise, but I am trying to internalize that. So thank you. We're going to, we're going to learn. We have to learn. We have to. Women are bad at it. We know that. Yeah. But we need to do better. All of these nurses have, like you said, been stripped of their health benefits, their short-term disability. What what can we do in like the healthcare field um, as other nurses in, you know, different parts of the country who, I mean, some hospitals are unionized, some aren't, but like, what can we do to help and like show our support for our, I don't want to say nurse fam, because that sounds so like meh, but like. Yeah, they are. So, you know, I think first and foremost is sharing their story and their message is incredibly important and incredibly powerful, especially now. It's, you know, it's a pretty time sensitive thing. Mm -hmm. Um, They do have a public Instagram account, which is at RWJ Nurses United. It's all one word. And if you give them a follow, you can sort of be on top of the latest updates and information as it comes. So I think encouraging your family and not just those who are in nursing, but others, especially Mm -hmm. if they do happen to live in the state of New Jersey, to make phone calls to legislatures, to make uh, send an email, send a DM, send a message to the governor, Governor Murphy of New Jersey, to contact the assemblyman, which I actually think they have actively posted as like an evergreen piece of content information around how you can contact legislation. Mm. to push for a bill for safe staffing ratios, um, which I understand Bill S-304 is something that was tossed around but is not on anybody's docket for discussion. So that needs to be pushed forward. Okay. I will find out and try to share with you all if they do have a strike fund or a way to donate for those who have lost their you know, Cobra is incredibly expensive to have oh your own God. health it's insurance. So expensive, and there are nurses who indeed have either themselves or family members with severe health issues, and right. or or who have been out on disability and have lost their disability coverage, and now are up at odds against what's going on. So, I believe establishing a, a proper strike fund requires logistics that are beyond my scope of knowledge. Yeah. Beyond a basic GoFundMe. Right. Yeah. But I will make sure to share that with you and with everyone else once any of that information comes to fruition. Um, And also I am, I have taken interest in really creating content now to educate the public about nursing in general, Mm -hmm. about patient safety, about what we can do as the average human being who wants to care, but is too bombarded by every 
day life. Right. We need to we need to normalize conversations around what happens in a hospital and we need to do it in digestible bites. Yes. We need to make it palatable. Mm-hmm. We need to we need to advocate and make sure that patients are empowered for themselves before they end up in a hospital bed so that right. they can they can know the very basic needs are met every time that they go there. So yeah. I've I've now started I will be creating a series of content around this form of education. That's amazing. In yeah, little bite-sized snippets that hopefully can generate some knowledge to people who are not inside of our world, right? Because mm-hmm. everyone in the world like we all get it. We're like in this club and we can't get out. We know what it's like. <laughs> We did. I mean, we're in it for life. Like there's a pact. I, I mean, I guess technically we did, right? We had like a, you know, a candle ceremony and did the whole business. So here, <laughs> you know, here we are, we get it. So we need to make sure that other people get it because yeah. one of the other things that I know happens, we are as a, as a society, we get really, really excited and really motivated about something for like two minutes. Mm-hmm. But our attention then goes to another really big issue or another really traumatic event or really devastating story. And so we are inundated. Yeah. We are flooded with so much stimulation and so much information that we care about those 1700 nurses in New Jersey, but we have to focus on whatever fire we're putting out today. And believe so, me, there's been a lot of them. Uh, right. And so we all are experiencing that. And that's why it's even more crucial to keep these things top of mind as these nurses could be any of us. And they mm-hmm. are all of us. And they do care about going back and taking care of their patients. That's what they ultimately want. They want to go back to the jobs that have given them a certain sense of pride. Yes. And we as professionals should feel proud of what we do. And we should be able to say, I am proud to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. I'm proud to have this, this title. It is not my entire identity. It's not who I am all the time. Right. But I'm, pr- I'm proud to take care of people who trust me with their care. And I'm proud of the work that I do. 1,000%. And that is the, that's the critical component. I mean, oh my God, especially when I first started out nursing, you go home and you think about everything you just did for that patient. You are in a worry cycle of, did I give this medication? Did I, um, did I do like all the checks? Did I remember to change this diaper? Did I like suction this child enough? Did I suction him too much? You know, like every step is repeated in your head. So when you everything. Yes. So when you were in an unsafe scenario, you were going home and you can't let it go. No. You are still in it. You are thinking about it. You are dreaming about it. You are, I mean, me personally, I would wake up and think there was isolates in my room. And I'm and I'm just like, oh my God. Huh? I like yeah. the feeding yep. pump didn't get changed over. Right. The, I didn't right. put this flush up with that's like, you know. That's like nurse anxiety, like your nurse anxiety dream. I used to have, so whenever I used to get stressed and this was during like nursing school and then again, it it started coming back during grad school and it makes me laugh now because it's absurd. Um, But I used to be a patient care technician when I was in nursing school Mm -hmm. and while I was a bartender and a waitress. And we had a lot, it was a very, very heavy unit. It was a med surge unit that had, I think, something like 47 patients on it. And by the way, those nurses to this day are some of my favorite human beings on the planet. However, super, super busy. And I would have this recurring stress dream that every patient had a Foley that was left unclipped. And I was running around and there was just pee coming all over the floor. And I had to run into every room and clip the Foley bag. And I just couldn't keep up. It was like a flood of, it was like a sea of pee. And that's like, that became my nursing stress like dream my recurring dream oh my god I know but this is what we do of course of course you can so this is what we do and again we all want to be proud of the the ability to do the work we do part Mm -hmm. of why I pursued anesthesia a large part of it was I knew that I could reliably take care of one patient at a time 
Mm-hmm. There was never going to be a scenario in an operating room where I was taking care of more than one person at a time. And that was extre- extremely valuable to me. I could focus. I yes. could give high quality care. I could be hyper vigilant and not be pulled away at an inopportune moment. Mm-hmm. That was one of the major deciding factors for me. So, you know, when nurses walk away, it's, it's often because they are, they are left without an option. They're left with no mm-hmm. good option. Yeah. That says it all right there. These nurses on strike have no other option. No, they are, they're li- quite literally, if they back down at this point, their union faces some real challenges to ever garner any sort of credibility again. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these institutions want, they don't, want other nurses within the system to say, you know what would be a great idea? Let's also unionize. Right. They don't want to hear the U word. No. They, they don't want to hear that those nurses have staffing standards in place and we don't. Mm-hmm. But the reality is the actual answer should be you have standards in place for the nurses at the union facility and then you enact them at every other facility in your system. Because the goal of healthcare should be better patient outcomes. Correct. Which there Correct. is direct correlation between appropriate staffing and better patient outcomes. It's, That's just like you know cut what? and dry. It's like the most That's cut it. and dry thing on the planet. And, and you know, you hate to, I hate to sound so blunt. If you don't have enough nurses, you may die. Point blank, period. Yes. Okay. And it's the, it's the not squeaky wheel that will suffer. Mm-hmm. It's the patient with a nuanced situation that requires more observation that will suffer. It's the one who is quieter and who doesn't want to bother because they see how busy the staff is. Mm-hmm. So they say it's just indigestion. It can't be chest pain. Patients aren't stupid. They're very perceptive of the fact that their nurse is running ragged. Yes. Okay. That they flustered. know. They know. They see it. And so when we are the human punching bag, when we take the hits from family because they're frustrated, it's not on purpose. I, I sincerely believe that their stress levels are through the roof mm-hmm. and they just want answers and they just want whatever it is that they're looking for. but. They don't have someone because we can't physically be in two places at once. Or five places at once. Or five places at once. Or seven or eight or ten places at once. Mm -hmm. So so that's the story. That's that's the tale. And, you know, at this point, I don't know where any of this goes. I, Mm -hmm. you know, part of me, part of me questions, you know, you go back and forth about is this a moot point? Will this even do anything? Will this even change anything? And I would like the optimist in me to believe that if even one person feels empowered by this conversation, if even mm-hmm. one nurse, even one patient starts asking questions or starts building up a movement, then it's worth it. Well, we will definitely have links to uh, the nurse's Instagram that people can follow. Yeah, that'd be great. Yes. And as well as I will look up um, numbers and emails for the governor and um, some of the higher ups in New Jersey to bombard them with emails, messages, phone calls, DMs, like you said. Um, And you don't have to live in the state of New Jersey to have your voice heard. Like if this is like, A, this needs to be a topic of like national concern in order for anything to get changed. 1,000%. 1,000%. And I, this is how, I think this is one of those moments where you can make an impact and you don't realize how large your impact can be by simply picking up a phone or, you know, you don't, you don't even have to talk to anybody. And I don't want to make a phone call to anybody if I don't, I don't want to speak to an actual human being if I don't ever have to. But a lot of these are just like direct to voicemail or just type an email. It takes like five minutes. Absolutely. Because your your support, your two minute act of support, can literally change the outcome. So, well, Sonia, thank you so much for giving your time for all the work that you're doing for speaking at the picket lines. You 
you are such a force and I admire you for that so much. So thank I you, love you for everything that you are doing. I, I love you. you. I appreciate I it. You from Jack and everything too. So thank you. I love you guys. And I, like I said, to have a space where we can vocalize these things and have a safe space to converse and to address issues that maybe aren't getting the airtime they deserve is incredibly valuable. So thank you for having me. And I just, you know, I am, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a megaphone. I'm a messenger. It's really, it's about them. And that's why I'm here today. So. Just wanted to say thank you again to Nurse Sonia for coming on and sharing um, her experience with us and the the harder part of advocacy. I fully recognize, I know Sonia does too, that we're in a place of more privilege to be able to advocate for these things um, and to advocate for nurses who are on strike um, without, you know, necessarily the repercussions that these nurses who are on the picket lines um, have to face. So I just wanted to reiterate the social media account that you can um, show some support and get all the latest news on what's going on with the strike in New Jersey is at RWJ Nurses United. Again, that's at RWJ Nurses United to stay abreast of all the news uh, from the nurses themselves. I will also send along links in the show notes of um, legislators in um, New Jersey that you can contact and ask for Bill S-304 to be passed, which mandates safe staffing ratios. So looking forward to next week when um, Jack joins um, me back from the podcast, but this has been really fun being able to catch up with y'all solo. So appreciate y'all. God, this community is just amazing. I'm really, truly, fully grateful for the support y'all continue to give us. So on that note, I'll stop babbling and rambling, but I love y'all. Till next week. WOMED out.